0: Hear that music in the background? This is a very special episode. I'm thrilled to be able to introduce you today to Donna Grantis. So, after the opening, after you get to meet her, after the entire interview, you'll have the opportunity to listen to the entire track uninterrupted end to end. And for those of you watching on YouTube, you'll also get to see it. This was a performance that was recorded live in Toronto at a climate event featuring the words of Zipporah Berman, who I interviewed back in September of 2022 to talk about all of her work, to really put to bed the fossil fuel proliferation or reliance on fossil fuels. And so this is one part climate activism, one part music appreciation, and such a treat as we get to know somebody who's using their arts for good. I'm just thrilled to be able to introduce you to her today, and I encourage you to stick around for the end of the episode, when you'll get to listen to the entire track end to end. Here we go.
1: Welcome to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for people like you who care about the social impact of conscious companies and everyday heroes. Hear inspiring stories from those who put people and planet before profit and personal gain. You'll learn how you can make a difference, vote with your dollars and get involved today. Here's your host, Karina Belizzi.
0: Hello, fellow do and friends. I'm your host, Karina Belizzi. If you've been listening to this show since at least September 2022, you likely heard an interview with Sephora Berman, founder of Stand.Earth. She's also a leader in the movement to stop fossil fuel proliferation. You may also recall that an incredible musician, Donna Grantis, sampled Sephora's words from that interview, playing it on stage at a live climate event in Toronto, Ontario. That music has now been released as a track called A Drop in the Bucket. I have a real treat for you today as Donna is joining me to talk about her efforts. Donna Grantis is an artist and guitarist from Toronto, and she has another way of spelling that too. I believe to which may be the indigenous word for that. I'll ask her to clarify that from 2012 to 2016, Donna performed and recorded with Prince as a member of his funk rock trio, Third Eye Girl, and supergroup New Power Generation. As a band leader, she fronted a five piece electric jazz quintet and released the critically acclaimed debut album, Diamonds and Dynamite. Her newest project, and something that we'll dig in deeply to today, Culture versus Policy, fuses the emotive power of music with thought provoking dialogue about the climate and ecological crises. In collaboration with climate scientists, activists, indigenous leaders, policymakers, researchers, sociologists, and more, Grantis seeks to highlight in her art narratives exploring human aspects on the planet and how we impact Earth. As an Earth Percent artist and signee of the Music Declares Emergency Declaration, she is passionate about music as a force for social change. Wow, this is an exciting moment for me. So Donna Grantis, welcome to the show.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Karina. It's great to be here.
0: I feel like finally is in order. I was waiting for what seems like forever to hear the performance that you did in Toronto. And what, that was October 21st, I think, 2022. And then you released it on YouTube in January. I just was beside myself. Really beautiful work. Thank you.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I was so inspired by that podcast episode, Stand Up With the Earth with Zipporah. And you had about a 40-minute conversation with her that was fantastic and touched on so many things. And I was so inspired to pull some quotes from that episode and compose music around
0: those words. Well, I was just honored. And it really brought me right back. You know, there's this podcasting pursuit is sometimes a thankless art. (laughs) You put a lot of effort into each episode and you never really know the impact you're going to have at the end of the day. But I've just been so inspired by those individuals who've graced me with their presence, including Sephora or Nina Simons, who is the co-founder of Bioneers, who made that introduction for me, that it's just the thing that keeps me going, the juices that keep flowing. And ultimately in every single one of those episodes, I learn so much. So it's like my way of giving back to the climate too. I wanted to get started today to really learn a little bit more about your origin story and what really inspired you to become a musician in the first place. And then to, you know, use this as a platform in the way that you are today, because I just think that is going to be so interesting to every single person who listens to the show.
1: Sure. So when I was 13, my older brother had an acoustic guitar. And one summer I thought I'd pick it up and learn a few chords. I picked up the tab for Stairway to Heaven (laughs) and so many guitarists.
0: Isn't that the first song almost everybody learns?
1: Right? That's so true. And I really wanted to play electric. So I made a deal with my dad. If I learned one song perfectly, completely, he would get me an electric guitar. And so, you know, as a... 13-year-old, I wasn't thinking about the fact that Stairway was over seven minutes long. I just thought that it was such an amazing song. I learned that and then got an electric guitar and never looked back.
0: Well, I think I started with Pink Floyd's Wish You Were Here, which is far simpler, you know. <laughs> but there's a lot of pickwork in that, and it's more complicated than you think it will be to play an elegant, simple song when you get started. Wow. Now, my father is also a musician, so I've been around music my whole life, and I think he's always had at least 30 guitars. How many are in your collection? Oh, I have about 10, and each
1: is very special to me for different reasons. You know, it's like slightly different tone or pickup configuration or different materials can create different sounds, you know, brighter or darker, or warmer, but... The guitar that I played in the Drop in the Bucket video is my main guitar that I've had the longest. It was my first real
0: guitar. Yeah. It's like you have a love affair with the instrument, right? Like at a certain point. I have one. I just have an acoustic Martin that my dad got me and mostly hangs on the wall. (laughs) So that's the sad reality for it.
1: I like to hang my guitars up on the wall because then they're just always available. You can pick them up at any time and be creative.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Now, you had the opportunity to play with one of the most iconic performers of the last century, century really, which is Prince. How did that experience influence your music today and your pursuits today? Yeah, I learned so much from Prince, musically,
1: of course, and about playing guitar and funk and recording, but also so much about life and, and spirituality. And During the time that I was at Paisley Park and recording and touring with him and Hannah and Ida, the members of Third Eye Girl, and and also with New Power Generation, really firsthand got to experience the power of music as a unifying force. We talked a lot about music as medicine um, and music as a healing force, and we played concerts throughout North America and Europe, Dubai. Everywhere we played, there was a wonderful sense of community, of people coming together to celebrate and to feel something, joy or belonging or connection. And it's amazing to see the impact that music can have on people all over the world. And I feel like it really touches people in a Very emotive way. And I remember before going to Dubai to play a concert, I was thinking, I wonder how the music will be received or what it will be like. I'd never been there before. But the experience was the same as it was everywhere we played. Music can really speak to something about the human experience that we can all relate to, and it provides a point of connection that's really special.
0: Now, I'm not a musician. But my father is. And he's a type of musician that can pick up an instrument and learn to play it in a half an hour. He started on the flute as a kid, then he played the clarinet, then he got his first bass guitar at 15. He still has the first fender that he had then. And he was born in 45. So it's like an early you know, fender. And he plays a sitar. He calls himself a percussionist, but he really plays all of these instruments. And I've had the joy of being there when the band practices went late or when he was performing and experienced in a few moments where I could literally see that these musicians were just conversing using their instruments and following along with one another and observe as a child, as young as three, the impact this had on the group as a whole. And I've since interviewed my father on a family podcast we've talked about it and he said that there's this certain point that i've gotten to a few times in my life and it's it's super special when it happens but where you essentially are outside of your body and you're watching everything happening there and you're in the music it's like you're living as part of it and i think when we get in these groups of people that are truly in the moment and in the appreciation of the music We transcend the physical body and we become kind of part of this consciousness together. And this is why in particular, I think the movement to head in this kind of culture v policy perspective and work to make music a part of this climate movement is really smart. It's needed and it's going to help us break down political barriers because I think sometimes like you mentioned going to Dubai not knowing how your music is going to be received. The culture is so different, right? And having that moment of doubt, perhaps, that you won't be perceived well. Well, I mean, I just see so much infighting. I find myself jettisoning my time from Facebook and saying, I just don't want to hang out here because I have friends that are connected across political spectrums and they're just arguing. So do you think that music can help us transcend that break down these barriers? Absolutely, I do, because it brings
1: together people of all demographics. So regardless of your political beliefs, or religious views, or your age, or your socioeconomic background, music transcends all of that, and it really reaches a very wide demographic. It's a beautiful thing. I think your observation is about that idea of getting to a certain place and is really beautiful as a musician. That's something that I strive for with every performance and I hope I get there. I don't know how in control I truly am about getting to that zone, but when musicians are listening to each other, interacting together in the moment and the sound is balanced, it's an incredible feeling. It just feels like there are no boundaries, limitless. And sometimes I wonder if it's a particular like meditative state, but it's a beautiful place. And I feel like that is communicated to the audience as well. And the audience can really participate in that. And that special connection is where the magic is. In a live performance, but also when sound is used to communicate a message um, about social issues, about these very important issues that need to be addressed, like the climate crisis and the ecological emergency. It's going to be really interesting to see, I think, over this next decade, especially the potential of that to create
0: cultural change. And to inspire people. I think so many of us end up walking around feeling like we can't be the change. <laughs> like, like, oh yeah, that sounds like a pipe dream and a great idea. And I want to, but how am I, singular, going to affect the greater world around me? And that kind of doubt is really what I think is starting to burden so many people where they get into this space of eco-anxiety. That's the term we've thrown around for it. But I think it's more than that it's ultimately driving us to feel disconnected from one another because who am I in the grand scheme of things? You start, I think I just said grand scream. <laughs> Maybe that's a better term, but like you feel separated. And then this separation leads to depression, leads to hopelessness. And a message that I keep hearing as people I interviewed like Anne-Therese Gennari, who even she calls herself the climate op- optimist, right? She released a book called The Climate Optimist Handbook to help people tackle that challenge. But it's getting someone to sit down and read, that can be challenging. But getting them to listen to something that they already know they're going to enjoy with the gift of music, I think is incredible. So I wanted to dig into this a little bit more because you have listed Earth as your (laughs) co-writer on this. And you're even donated this song to a compilation album that I believe Brian Eno helped to arrange, another iconic artist. Talk to me about this. How is it working? How has this collaboration really come together? Sure. So Earth Percent is a charity that Brian Eno
1: co-founded. And of course, Brian is an incredible artist, the pioneer of ambient music, a legendary music producer, and an activist. And the Earth is Your Co-Writer campaign is a groundbreaking initiative. And I'm so excited that A Drop in the Bucket is part of this campaign. So as you mentioned, the Earth is (laughs) credited as a writer of this song. And Funds directed to the earth as a shareholder flow to earth percent where they will be redistributed to climate justice and environmental organizations. Working across five key areas, greening music, supporting a clean energy transition, climate justice, legal and policy change, and protecting and restoring nature. This is an amazing idea The recorded music industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. Of course, 1% by one artist of one song directed to the earth could be a relatively small amount. But when you consider collective action, 1% of potentially billions of dollars a year is a tremendous amount of money that can be distributed to environmental
0: organizations. Yeah. I love that. Now I went and purchased my copy. I should say donated my copy because that's actually how it's set up, right? You go to Earth% Percent, their website and then you click on it and you see that there's something like 60 different tracks that have been donated to this compilation, including, and this was a surprise to me because I didn't see the cure listed on there, but then suddenly I'm listening to the album And I'm like, that's Robert Smith. And it was a collaboration with The Cure, The Cure's Robert Smith and Churches. They produced this beautiful track. Some of the tracks, of course, I liked better than others. Some were more my taste than others, but all of them are just super high quality and really interesting and got me thinking differently. So it's on my playlist. And because I bought it through Bandcamp, I think, I have it as a download I put it on my server at home, so I can search it and actually just play it from any room in the house without my phone on me. So that was a treat too. And of course, your track is on there. So when that comes up, I just am giddy with glee. <laughs> That's an Earth Percent Earth
1: Day Bandcamp collaboration, and all funds raised will be directed to impactful environmental organizations. So Earth Percent is doing a lot of really great things. There are a number of organizations now in the music and climate space that are doing incredible work, like Music Declares Emergency as well. They presented the first Canadian Music Climate Summit, where a drop in the bucket was
0: recorded live. I did share a snip of that on an earlier podcast episode to celebrate some moves that the podcast has made over the course of the last two years that I've been recording And the performance on YouTube, I mean, the video quality, the audio quality is just so good. And so I will embed that particular link on my webpage episode for this podcast. So those of you that are listening now can just go to caremorebebetter.com and you can click on it and listen to the whole thing, watch Donna perform it live. What an incredible treat. Wow. So crediting Earth as your co-writer. Let's talk about that a little bit more. How many artists are participating in that? Is that everybody in this Earth Percent Pledge or is it beyond that? Is it catching steam? This is the
1: pilot program right now, but for any songwriters, bands, artists, composers listening, if anyone is interested, they can reach out to earth at earthpercent.org for more information. And imagine if one day the earth becomes the beneficiary of the you know the greatest amount of royalties in the history of recorded music. It's possible if enough people get on board with this.
0: I love that idea. It really connects nicely to the entire conversation I have with Paul Hawken as well on this podcast when he shared Earth needs to be a stakeholder at the table. And actually, considering if you have a board of people leading a company, There's a seat reserved for Earth, like somebody advocating for the planet and for circularity, for building regenerative practices, for not over-extracting from environmental resources. I know we live in a complex world. I'm, I'm fully aware. But simple things like the fact that plastics have become so ubiquitous that they're just everywhere. You go shopping at the grocery store and you want to buy some blackberries. The blackberries come in a clamshell made of plastic. It's like, when did we abandon smarter packaging solutions that were more friendly to the planet? We did it out of convenience and how nicely stackable they are. And maybe the berries stay a little bit better a day longer or something to that effect. But it can feel so overwhelming. And so that's, I think, where these charities that are pushing for change, while It may not be the large conglomerate companies coming on board yet. Like I'm looking for the day when Driscoll's, who is a local company to me, I mean, I live close enough to Watsonville where they grow most of their berries. When are they going to shift away from plastic? When are companies going to shift away from using so many petrochemicals, even in their printer ink? I mean, these are big problems.
1: Absolutely. I I totally agree with you that this initiative, I think, sets a precedent that hopefully other industries will follow. And on a personal level, after writing a song, there's a moment of pause to think, I would like to acknowledge the earth in the writing of this song. I gratefully acknowledge the earth. And I think that reflection is a beautiful thing and something that Reconnecting with nature and having that moment of pause to
0: acknowledge our place in the world is really important. I mean, it just sounds like gratitude for Earth, like taking a grateful moment. So many people take on this practice of gratitude. And if we could just pause for more than Earth Day (laughs) or Earth Month and connect with nature, commune with ourselves in that way, I think we'd be building a better future right out the gates. Now, when you think about earth and connecting with nature, I would just love to know what personal practices you have that help you to commune with nature or the things that you do. Like, what would you share with those listening that might be helpful to them?
1: I love hiking
0: and I grew up
1: with a giant vegetable garden in my parents' backyard. And that had a really big impact on me as a kid and through to now where we grow the most delicious tomatoes and cucumbers and carrots and, and raspberries and
0: blueberries. Where do you live? It sounds like paradise. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Toronto is the indigenous name for Toronto. And my kids also garden and they were planting all of the tomatoes last year. And I think that's so special and really creates an appreciation for nature, for the food
0: we eat, for the earth. Yeah. And I think practicing that with your kids, it's like you're involving them in understanding where their food comes from. You're involving them in thinking about what soil does, right? Like these things are, they might seem small, but they're actually really big. This morning, I shared with you before we started recording, my eight year old is homesick with me. It happens, bummer. Well, he took it upon himself to go into our yard and pick some mint leaves and make fresh mint tea mint is easy to grow, but he was like thinking about my throat kind of hurts. Oh, we have this local honey and we were out of peppermint tea. So he just went into the garden. And yeah, I mean, I just think having these things around you and building the practices in, you're going to affect the next generation. And perhaps they'll be a little bit more connected to nature just because of how you raise them. Perhaps they'll be a little bit more mindful of the fact that I live on Ohlone land where you mentioned the indigenous people of Toronto to Toronto. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So TKO Ronto. I was not aware before reading your bio, but yes, Ohlone land here and the Salon nation is also just a little bit South of me. And I've spent a lot of time in these areas. And this again kind of portends part of the conversation with Paul Hawken where he said, he really just wants people to know where they live know the land they're on, the history of it, beyond the pavement and the buildings? What was there before? How was the land created? And who lived there? Who occupied it? Who lived in concert with nature? What animals exist here? You know, all of that. What plants grow? Such great questions and to ask and to
1: reflect on and to learn about.
0: Yeah. So where do you see the future of culture v. policy going? Like, what is your next big plan, or do you have one?
1: Yeah. So I aim to amplify the message of climate leaders by composing, recording, and performing music to their words. And the first song that I wrote for this project is A Drop in the Bucket. There are a number of others in the works. I recently had a fantastic conversation with Eric Cordes, and ocean scientist who travels in a submersible down to the bottom of the ocean floor to study coral and the acid horizon. And I learned so much from that conversation and I'm so inspired by this process to compose music around those words and ideas. I'm planning on writing the album over the next six months and releasing a full record in
0: 2024. Yeah, I'm just envisioning, as you say this about Eric Cortez, you know, like him going down in the submersible with the track kind of playing or something, you know, over that and just seeing it on camera in some way. So, talking about Eric Cortez and his work, I would love to have a conversation with him as well. If you care to make an introduction, who knows, maybe he can come on the show and talk about his work. But I so closely follow the health of our oceans because I worked. For a long time in the fish oil industry and watched how the growing acidity of our oceans has affected our aquatic life, I'm also a scuba diver. So I live on the Monterey Peninsula here and learned to dive in beautiful kelp forests and everything else. This shelf that's only within really a few hundred yards of the coast in Carmel which is one of the deepest trenches so close to shore. So a lot of research happens here. And I've even driven one of the underwater rovers that goes much deeper than any human-occupied capsule can go in a test pool and been on some of the research vessels. And it's just an incredible treat to see the inner workings behind that. And then to hear scientists talk about the realities of climate change from these, and boil it down to the simplest thing like, Okay, well, we have more carbon in our atmosphere. More carbon in our atmosphere means our ocean absorbs more of it. Our ocean absorbing more of it means that the acidity of the waters increase. And with the acidity increase, even if we were to stop the ambient air temperature from rising, the ocean water would continue to rise in temperature because the acidity changed. So that's pretty scary and has me... Full circle, I I stopped working in the fish oil industry because I just think we need to let our oceans recover. And the act of supporting one fish oil means you're kind of supporting all of them, (laughs) even if you're a good actor, right? So from a personal perspective, I transitioned to working in the algae industry where you can grow algae for human nutrition without impacting marine ecosystems while still providing all the benefits of the omega 3s that we get from fish and even some of the proteins. So that's my personal effort coming into real life. But it means that I'm still so closely connected to what's happening in our oceans. And I kind of choose that to be one of my missions in life. Maybe it's penance for the success of the fish oil giant Nordic Naturals.
1: <laughs> right. Oh, that's really interesting to know. I didn't know that algae is comparable to fish oil in terms
0: of the nutritional benefits. So algae feed fish. So fish get their omega-3s, EPA and DHA from the algae they consume. And that's something that was not common knowledge is becoming more part of the conversation. But I worked for almost a decade for Nordic Naturals to put them on the map as the sales marketing and education leader, second in command at the company. And we had a lot of success and did things, I would say much more responsibly than other fish oil companies. But again, it's like You contribute to a problem as part of an effort like that, even if you're doing it better, because you've helped an entire industry to rise up, right?
1: There have been so many changes over the past 10, 15 years in terms of nutrition, even from all of the milk options that are available now are incredible. The nut milks, I think it's great to see.
0: I don't know if you want to share, but like, where's your dietary world? Are you shifting to more plant-based or where do you sit on the spectrum? Often vegan, sometimes vegetarian. I've been working to eliminate dairy, which it was really hard for me because I love it so much. <laughs> but, you know, when you learn about the impact that dairy production has on our climate, it can be pretty challenging to keep doing it, right? So in my coffee, I now use oat milk. Oh, that's nice. Have you heard of Almond Cow? Yes, I have. It's incredible. <laughs> One of your favorites. Board Cow is another company that's making a dairy replacement that actually has to say, it has to be called dairy, even though it's not from cows, because it has the same lactose present in it, and it's created by fermentation, but it doesn't come from cows. And so I'm like... Okay, this is really interesting, but of course I sampled it at a trade show and it tasted a little bit like maybe two percent. But I had already walked away from milk, and so I'm like, this tastes funny to me because I haven't had milk in so long, and I used to love it. Right? It's just the way things flow. So I'll have to try almond cow. I haven't actually put it in my coffee or anything like that.
1: It's an appliance.
0: Oh, I know what you're talking about now. You make your own at home. Yes, you add water, you add nuts, you hit a button, and then a minute later, you have incredible nut milk. If you want it to be a little sweet, you could add maple syrup or whatever you chose. Awesome. Okay, I was thinking of a different brand. I'm putting them down, Almond Cow. I'll reach out to their team and see if they want to come talk about what they do. So what do you think the role of the arts is in this climate emergency?
1: I think it is to create a connection between hearts and minds, to evoke emotions and compassion related to the climate emergency, to communicate information about the climate emergency to a wide demographic of people that are all united together to enjoy music and enjoy art and to create an entry point towards tackling the climate emergency together. So for example, the IPCC report may reach a certain group. Graphs and data might reach a certain group. Music can also reach a certain group. And I think through art, through music, through something that's very Inviting and welcoming and fun and unifying, that undeniably there's tremendous potential to accelerate climate solutions by influencing the way people understand, act, and feel about human impacts on the planet. And the arts and music can help spark that potentiality.
0: Here, here. Thank you. Now, I could talk to you all day about climate change and health of our oceans and how music could help. But I really feel like we've touched on so much here. And from just a conversation of the impact that music can have on you personally, the connection that it can bring to people, the reality that it can inspire, I really would love to hear from you if there's a question or a thought, perhaps a question I haven't asked that you wish I had or a thought that's kind of resonating with you so that we can take that with us as perhaps a pearl of wisdom and continue on this inspired journey. Yeah, something
1: that I think about quite often that has really influenced the direction of this project is planetary health and environmental justice are inextricably linked to human health and social justice. That connection to me The understanding of how those systems interact together is what has been really motivating me to direct my my creative energy and my climate action efforts in this way. There's a book called Intersectional Environmentalist by Leah Thomas. And I'd like to share a quote from that book that. I thought was really compelling. And that quote is, social injustice and environmental injustice are fueled by the same flame, the undervaluing commodification and exploitation of all forms of life and natural resources, from the smallest blade of grass to those living in poverty and oppressed people worldwide. That's Leah Thomas. The question is, you know, how can humans live well together on earth. This is the challenge of our
0: time. Yeah, this is. It's the biggest challenge of our time. Wow. Well, thank you, Donna, so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your efforts, your music. It's such a gift. My hope is that we can play out this episode with a clip of your music, but I will go ahead and connect with Trevor on that. I do want to point people to your websites to learn more about you. You have, the first is just donagrantis.com. And then you also have culturevpolicy.com. Is that correct? Donagrantis.com is the best place. And that's spelled D-O-N-N-A, Grantis is G-R-A-N-T-I-S. If you haven't already found her, she will be in my show notes as well as in the blog associated with this episode Okay. this has just been my absolute honor to have you here. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Karina. It's been great to chat with you.
0: To learn more about Donna Grantis and her important work, you can visit DonnaGrantis.com. You can also follow her on social channels at Donna Grantis. And that's simply D-O-N-N-A-G-R-A-N-T-I-S. As always, when you visit our show notes for this episode, you will see direct links to where you can find her. Just go to caremorebebetter.com. You'll find a few special treats, including Donna Grantis' performance of A Drop in the Bucket at the Canadian Music Climate Summit in Toronto. Those of you who are listening will get to hear it start to finish right as we wrap today's episode. And those of you watching on YouTube, you'll get to see the performance as well. You'll also find with our show notes and episode links to Earth Percent and the book, The Intersectional Environmentalist something that we should all be reading. And now, as promised, A Drop in the Bucket by Donna Grantis, featuring Sephora Berman's wisdom and with Earth as the co-writer. Here it is.
2: know that if you have more carbon trapped in the atmosphere that increases the impacts of climate change on earth 86% of the pollution that's trapped in our atmosphere that's literally creating this sweltering blanket that's changing the earth causing floods and storms and the fires and the extreme heat waves 86% of it comes from three things I use them every day. We all use them every day. Can we not? Do we have enough? How much is enough? How much should we be using and producing? We decide when we have enough. And do we have the replacements for all these fossil fuels? We do. Renewable energy is now cheaper and can scale replace almost all uses of fossil fuels. Why are we spending the majority of the world's financial and intellectual and political capital to dig up more of the stuff that we know is hurting us? What we know is that We already have enough fossil fuels above ground or under construction that if we use it, it will take us past two degrees, which is kind of a benchmark in the climate change world. If we go past two degrees, then parts of the planet will be uninhabitable. Millions of people will lose their homes. Thousands of people will die. are on track to produce 110% more fossil fuels than we can ever use and if we do use them they'll burn us Responsibility onto the consumer through public relations campaigns like the carbon footprint, and and they also wanted to cast doubt about whether climate change was happening, and they were successful in doing that for about 20 years. change implications of some of these major fossil fuel projects. But of course, there's impacts on local communities, health impacts and indigenous rights and human rights impacts. The fact is, we need system system change. The fact is, we need system change. The fact is, we need system 20 oil and gas companies now have about $930 billion invested in new expanded fossil fuel projects between now and 2030. Well, it's not a transition if you're continuing to grow the problem. I often think about it and about hope as not something we just have, but instead something we do. I think hope is something that we create through our actions, through engaging in organizing, whether it's with our neighbors or with the group that we're in. Being a part of making a change can give you hope. Being a participant instead of just an observer in what's happening in the world. Organizing is the grunt work of social change because if you're knocking on doors or you're signing a petition or you're trying to Be greater than the sum of our parts. It sometimes feels like you're just a drop in the bucket But those drops they ripple out and they grow and that is what makes change Stay connected to nature We're part of something bigger, that we know so very little about. Find joy and appreciate life and remember what that feels like. Stay connected to nature. Find joy and appreciate life and remember what that feels like. to nature, find joy and appreciate life and remember what that feels like, stay connected to nature. life remember what that
1: Thanks for listening to care more, be better, a podcast for social good to make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts and share with your friends to help us reach more people
0: and spread more social good.